Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're able to create a great product that people have felt the impact of that, then ultimately, naturally, the money piece will play itself out. You're listening to Crazy Smart Asia, a podcast exploring the unexpected stories of Asia's disruptors. It's the mid-90s in San Francisco. Tupac is on the radio, Clinton's in the White House, and a teenager from Guangzhou by the name of Danny Young is getting kicked out of schools and falling in with the wrong crowd. Then suddenly, something just clicks. Danny realizes that if he wants to break the cycle, if he wants to give his family options and financial security, he'd better get to work, literally. At just 15, he started his career as a part-time telemarketer, later working nights to put himself through college. By the age of 25, he'd started his first business, a franchise of a Hong Kong dessert shop. Over the subsequent decade, his constant pursuit of new challenges and new horizons led him to launch ventures in hospitality, furniture, and e-commerce before founding medical technology firm Prunetics seven years ago. In 2020, the company was hitting its stride, seeing success with its consumer-facing genetic testing brand CircleDNA. And then, COVID hit. Realizing he had the labs, the talent, and the tenacity to help, Danny quickly pivoted the business. To date, Prenetics has conducted more than 6 million COVID-19 tests globally, helping to curb the spread of the virus and keep the world running during the pandemic. The company's success has led to breakneck growth and a surging valuation. In September this year, Prenetics announced it would become the first unicorn company from Hong Kong to publicly list via a SPAC merger that will put the company on the Nasdaq at a valuation of 1.7 billion US dollars. So how did Danny go from underachieving student to trailblazing entrepreneur to Hong Kong's hero of the pandemic? What decisions did he take to put him on his extraordinary path? And now that financial security is far from a worry, what drives him to keep moving forward? In this episode, Danny Young discusses this and more with Gentis Lee Williamson. Here's our conversation. Danny Young, welcome to Crazy Smart Asia. Um, if you are game, I want to start with some quick fire questions. Sure. I want to see what's on Danny Young's mind. Mm-hmm. First, explain what you do in one sentence. Yeah, so you know, certainly what we do in one sentence is that Prenetics is uh, Prenetics' mission is to decentralize healthcare and bring healthcare closer to millions of people globally. Who or what is your inspiration? I think my inspiration is just about creation. Yeah, so I think from early age, it was always about hey, how I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then now, of course, my focus is really about healthcare in terms of again bringing accessible healthcare to millions of people globally. What's your top productivity hack? I think my top productivity has just actually spending time alone, right? In terms mm. of basically thinking out and strategizing in terms of, you know, what direction we should take, what are the key priorities and where I can make the biggest impact from a very limited time. Mm, building time to deep think. Yeah. Correct. Interesting. Mm. What's your favorite food? 
I would say Japanese. What's been the biggest moment of realization in your life? I mean, I don't, I don't believe there's just one moment, right? It's the same way I don't believe, let's say, entrepreneurship is just basically due to one key element, right? So I think it's a series of moments, uh, you know, starting from my first business at 25, my second business, my third business, fourth business, moving to Hong Kong-wise, you know, basically then, of course, you know, then starting Prenetics, right? So I think a lot of these moments are quite big and certainly I think one moment leads to the other moment. Okay. What's the secret to longevity? I think being happy and smiling a lot right? and being positive. I think these are really keys. Totally. How do you want to be remembered? Is it for that? Yeah, I think you know, ultimately when you want to be rumors, you know, all, you know, Daniel's always very positive minded, always you know, thinking out the box um, and, and certainly always being you know, very fair and neutral wise. Right? Okay. Quick fire round over and for the real questions. A lot has been written about you. Um, so much so a lot of people may think they, they know you. Um, are they right? I'm going to ask you a deceptively easy question. Who is Danny Young? Mm-hmm. It's the, hard to uh, describe my own self, yeah, because yeah. the rallies, I actually tend not to like to talk about myself so much, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but certainly, I think I let kind of the work I've, I've I kind of let uh, the companies I've started uh, you know, talk about itself, right? So certainly, I think for myself, um, certainly there's been a lot written wise, you know, again, a lot of the stuff that you 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 know, you guys profile and such mm-hmm. those are all true, right? So certainly, I, I started working at a very young age, you know, twelve. You know, I started working at baseball car shop at age twelve. At fifteen, wise, I was you know I was doing you know, part time telemarketing. Uh, at eighteen, I started working in internet companies. By twenty five, started my first business, which was a restaurant. Mm. Then the hospitality, furniture, then the e commerce, and now healthcare. Right. So certainly, uh, within this time, certainly meant a lot of obstacles and challenges. But uh, through positive positivity and just a relentless pursuit of wanting to create something, uh, yeah, was thankfully a lot of the companies that I started wise was you know, successful. I think one of the things that defines you is you are all business. And I do want to ask you a lot about your, your leadership. Before I do, I have one question to ask you about the earlier days. So about your childhood. From the things I've read um, in, in the past in, in Tatlo and other publications, like many successful entrepreneurs, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, right? You emigrated from Guangzhou to the US when you were five. Your parents were working, you said before, kind of fighting to keep a roof over your head and, and weren't around a bunch. Uh, and in some ways, you acted out. Uh, you said before, you got kicked out of three high schools for fighting. And you said that you started hanging out with Chinese gangs in San Francisco. Can you pick up the story from there? Tell me about those early days, how they shaped you and how you went from gangs to straight and narrow to entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, I always believe yeah, our childhood actually shapes who we are today as individuals, right? 100%. In terms of your, your experiences, right? So I think when I was growing up, yeah, as a teenager-wise, right? Again, I, you know, my parents were busy working all the time, so there's, I was always left alone, right? Mm. And then so certainly... Uh, and then, of course, when you're left alone, you always have your friends, right? And then, yeah, even when, if you think about it, even when I was, I got kicked out of every single high school, I was never really a good student, yeah, mm-hmm. because I always felt like, ah, oh, it was a waste of my time. But every single year, I actually had to make new friends in high school, right? Right. And then, so that always then I have like, you know, talk new people, I understand, you know, who who I should be hanging out with, etc. Wise, right? So always having to create. Uh, reinvent myself as well or being very adaptable 
right? When so you I join a new key. high school because you got kicked out of another one, you join as the bad boy already, right? Yeah, you join as a bad boy already, correct. You yes. carry that reputation, so you're going to meet yes. other people that will help put you on, on a wrong path. So, like, yeah. I don't want to dwell on that. That's your personal life, and, and you want to keep it personal. But what I'm interested in, uh, what we talk about in Crazy Smart Asia, is, you know, the unexpected stories and decisions that people make. So how did you go from, you know, feeling like things weren't on the right track to putting things on track? Like, what was that, like, just click mm-hmm. moment for you? Yeah, I think a click moment was, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, I was involved with lots of, you know, fights, you know, hanging out with the wrong people, you know, cutting school, lots of, you know, bad stuff, right? It was as a teenager wise, right? Mm. Um, and I would never want that, you know, for my own child, right? Mm. But certainly, I think I remember, you know, a moment where I was looking at, what I was doing uh, on, on a daily basis, the people I was with, and I was thinking, and some of these individuals were much older, right? I, mean, I remember when I was like 15, 16, the people I would hang out was like probably in their mid-20s, actually, mm. right? A lot older uh, guys, right? And then you know, they weren't really doing much with their life, right? Mm. And then I just made a decision one moment. I was like, you know what? Actually, the people I'm hanging around with is actually probably not good for my future because if they were, yeah, very successful yeah you can be able to tell right so i didn't tell that they were very successful so this one day i just completely cut out that part of, of friends or that circle from my life and basically just yeah adapted to a new environment right? so there wasn't one trigger it was a, just a, a sudden realization for you it wasn't like an event that led to this that was just a sudden realization that hey that's not i mean i was thinking about you know i was maybe 15 16 at the time i was thinking about looking in the future as hey you know at 25 26 that's not who I want to be, right? Mm. Because I was looking at, if I was hanging out with these guys and et wise, then I, I was like, if I was going that path, it would have been exactly who I was, which I wasn't really doing much. You had a glimpse of who you might turn out to be. And it's one thing to be a bit of a reprobate, a bad mm. boy at school, but you wanted to be successful. Yeah, correct. I wanted to be successful, right? I wanted to really have the financial freedom for myself and, and for my family, right? And so I knew the only way I could do that was basically through work and certainly eventually through entrepreneurship. Interesting. So it was about creating choices for yourself and for your family. And and obviously that comes through being able to support yourself comfortably. Correct. It was the first thing that led you. Uh, Yes. And then you've been working from the age of 15 and you haven't stopped. You know, first as a telemarketer for timeshares um, and then you work nights to put yourself through college. It seems like a recurring theme in your life is a strong work ethic from that moment on. Yeah, definitely. Right. So I think you know, I mean, again, I've been fortunate to know a lot of uh, very successful entrepreneurs, many of them much more successful for me, uh, more successful than me myself. And I think one key element that comes out is that, you know, we all have a very strong work ethic mm. and it started at a very young age, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, by default, yeah, I've never heard any any successful entrepreneurs say, hey, you know what, uh, you have a 96 job, yeah. et cetera. Wise. And of course, there's a lot of things we, we can enjoy, uh, but I think so having a strong work ethic has always been a commonality amongst you know, the most successful entrepreneurs. Right, 100%. You said to me before as well that the most important thing for an entrepreneur is passion, which is very, very easy to believe because entrepreneurship involves that strong work ethic. It involves sacrifice, right? And you can't sacrifice um, for what you're doing without passion for what you're doing. So my question is, what does passion mean to you and how does it affect your day-to-day? Like beyond the soundbite, like of course, yeah, passion is important for an entrepreneur. Like why is passion important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, passion is so important, right? Because people can see it, right? People mm. can feel it. People so can see the it. contagion of it. Yeah, the contagion of it. And certainly, I think for me, wise, it's like, I think if you're passionate about something, 
yeah, you will make sacrifices for it. Uh, you will be, and then that's the same. I think in work and personal relationships, right? Right. So if you're passionate about something, you will do it at all costs to make it work. Mm. Uh, and I think for each of the businesses I've been involved in, I was very passionate about it. Um, and and certainly, you know, with Prenetics wise, I mean, this is something I, I you know live day and night wise, right? Mm. Uh, so very passionate about it. And again, being passionate about something, you will then find creativity in terms of how you go about your business, right? Mm. And certainly, you know, like you mentioned, passion is contagious. Uh, and a lot of times people sense that, they see it, um, and, and they feel intrigued to understand more. And certainly some partners you know, want to work with you just because of that passion-wise. Right? right. We're speaking on a Monday morning, and I'm here in your, your beautiful new office. Um, and there's about 30 people in your kind of common working area the chatter level is huge. Um, people, there's so much energy in that room. It's like a Friday night, but it's Monday morning mm-hmm. and people are getting about their week. That passion is kind of obvious to see walking in. How do you get that? How, how do you, is it just, you just embody who you are and you, other people follow? No, I mean, certainly it's not so easy, right? So I think certainly, I think you have to, number one, is it starts from talent. Um, and mm-hmm. then you, and I always believe it starts from talent and people, right? So certainly, of course, for any company, the, the culture, uh, the people take on a lot about the founder. Mm. Um, so I think when we do hiring-wise, right? So we're looking for a certain type of individual uh, that uh, certainly is very passionate about what we do. Mm. You know, very passionate about uh, you know, their, their own self, their motivation. We want you know, self-motivated individuals, right? The second season of Crazy Smart Asia is sponsored by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. We live in a dynamic and ever-changing world where innovation leads the way, a world facing unprecedented challenges. We need to change the way we create and consume to fuel the next wave of change and build a brighter, more sustainable tomorrow. BNP Paribas Wealth Management is proud to support Crazy Smart Asia on its mission to tell the stories of inspiring leaders who are doing just that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a lot of talk in the startup community about building culture, as you said, and, and, and how to build a successful company usually revolves around talks around, usually revolves around talking points like culture, embracing failure, finding your why. Uh, one of the things I really admire about you, Danny, is you're a very straight talker, as you've already demonstrated. You don't indulge in cliches. You don't sugarcoat things. You're willing to say on the record things that, you know, there are other Im- things that are important to developing a business that aren't as happy clappy as culture and, and, and learning to embrace failure and so on. For example, you've spoken before about the need to have the right team for every growth stage, mm-hmm. which involves hiring. Um, and but firing. also firing, knowing when people's talents no longer fit the stage of growth you're at. So 
Is that true? And what other less glamorous traits do founders need that don't get talked about as much? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of these are true, right? So I think you have to be, as I see our co-founder, you have to be able to look at everything very broadly, right? Correct? So I think a lot of the other positions, I mean, they may have a much more narrow view, but certainly I think, yeah. Again, I have, I have a major responsibility to the organization, our customers, our shareholders, et cetera. Right? So I need to be able to look at things in a different scale. Mm. Um, so certainly, I think people is very, very important. As I mentioned again, said hey, you need different people at different stages of the company, whether yeah. it's, let's say, letting certain people go where the company has outgrown them or certain other areas where it may need to move that individual into different roles within the organization. Mm. That's also a possibility, right? So in terms of you know, your, your question going back to, are there other things? The less glamorous sides yeah, that of people course aren't as happy to talk about. Yeah, the less glamorous sides. I mean, it's, it's really about always thinking about the business first, right? And then so there's a lot of stuff uh, that is behind the scenes which are not glamorous, right? Because mm. I think at the end of the day, the day-to-day operations is not glamorous, and you're mm. constantly in, in different meetings, uh, going from one meeting after the other. Uh, so there's a lot of times where, yeah, you know, my my lunches are real, realistically like five minutes long usually, right? I mm. have something very, very simple to eat. It's like probably uh, $28, $30 each kid. I have my assistant get yeah, it for yeah. me, right? <laughs> and so, no, yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, yeah, less glamorous stuff, right? Right. One of the things is always being cost efficient, right? Um I commented and I complimented uh, some artwork you had in the office just now, which is a very cool kind of Spider-Man thing. And I said, wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, is this a part of a whole theme you have? You're like, are you a Marvel fan? And this is like a childhood fantasy come to life. And you said, you joked. No, I just, it was cheap at Stanley Market. Yeah. You were joking, right? No, I was not joking. Uh, no, no. So, so a lot of times when I, I, I get inspired by stuff and that's like, hey, this would make for a nice artwork in the office. Yeah, because a lot of people, they want to aspire to be, uh, yeah. Uh, superheroes and etc. Right, but to be honest, I mean, yeah, each one of those uh, uh, artworks is like yeah, twelve thirteen hundred HKD. Wow. Right? Well, they look amazing in your beautiful yeah. new office. But that's really interesting. The fact that you know a lot of entrepreneurs would have toasted the success of this back and, and this new office and spent you know thousands of US dollars on art, and you went to the local market and, and got some great, great little pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is that? Is is being kind of cost. Uh, conscious and you know it seems like it's something that's never left you obviously it's important for a very very early stage is that super important how important is that even today i mean it's very important right because i think naturally that's kind of like you know, my my own dna right so i've always been very cost conscious as as an entrepreneur and certainly you want to be able to spend where it creates value right correct but certainly a lot of times of things where you don't need to you know for example, the painting-wise, I spent you know twelve hundred uh, uh, HKD or one hundred twenty-eight thousand. I don't think that impact will be that big of a difference, right? Mm. Right. So, I mean, certainly, I think even this office was where again we felt a it was the right time to move into a very nice office where K eleven with Adrian, etc. Wise, because again, this was an investment back into our employees and team. So mm. that's where we did spend you know on rent, you know, the the you know fit out, etc. Wise again, but we see it as an investment. Spend money where there'll be a return. Yeah, spend Always. money where there will be a return, right? or it can create a difference, right? Mm. Still today, wise, I mean. Even my personally wise, I I hate to pay, uh, yeah, yeah, three hundred bucks for corkage at restaurants, right, <laughs> right? Because I just feel like I get no value from paying corkage, right? especially if I'm bringing a nice bottle of wine, yeah. Right, right, right. So lesson for all the other stage entrepreneurs out there: being cheap is a virtue. Mm, yeah. I mean, genuinely. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to my original question about passion. Mm-hmm. So. 
you know, if your passion isn't for, you know, a founding group of individuals and, and if your passion isn't for the industry, you've pivoted a lot over the years, which we'll come to later. So where does your passion lie? What is it directed at? If it's not one particular industry, if it's not towards one particular group of people, is it growth? I think my passion lies around just seeing gaps in the market, right? I mean, identifying gaps in the market and certainly I think through my entrepreneurial career-wise, of course, now I have more options than when I first started, mm. right? So when I first started-wise, you know, there's no way I could have went directly into e-commerce, directly into healthcare because I just didn't have that type of business background, correct? And then so that's why my first restaurant, my first business, again, coming from pretty much nothing was a restaurant because that's the easiest way to mm. get into business or entrepreneurship, right? And then as you grow, you learn and you develop and then you identify different trends, etc. Um, and then, so certainly, I, I think it's, it starts with that. I see. So, when you're in your mid twenties, no track record, no, you know, much less capital raising ability, you run F and B because that's an easier hurdle. Yeah, this, initially, this is an easier hurdle. And certainly, I wasn't so good at it. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have stuck you, at it. Right? You couldn't have created Prenetics when right. you're 25 with no track record because that, exactly, and no capital. Right? Interesting. Um, uh, what do you like most and least about the way you run a business? Like, what do you like most about yourself and least about yourself in the way that you are a leader? Yeah. I think I like the most in terms of running a business is that, you know, again, I get, I'm a very hands-on entrepreneur. So I work very closely with every single team, right? Mm. Uh, especially at the early stages of a company, right? Because then at the early stage of a company, you have to pretty much has to do everything. Uh, you know, from marketing, customer service, product development, even the science piece, understanding what we can develop from that science. Uh, so every single team I work very closely with in all the intricate details, right? So mm. certainly I... I really enjoy that because then basically you're able to see your product come to life and mm. when you do product wise it in touches every single department yeah what are you trying to get better at in terms of trying to get bad, better at it's actually time management right mm. so certainly i think and again, now at this stage of the organization as mentioned i've always been a very hands-on individual mm. right? and that works to a certain extent yeah, yeah. But because now wise the challenges uh, you know, one of the challenges is that you know we're very, you're growing very, very fast. We have you know roughly about 800 plus employees right now globally, mm. right? Uh, with a big business in the UK and Hong Kong wise, and looking to grow in the US and Southeast Asia. So now I can't be as hands on as I would like to be, Mm-mm. right? Because then my focus has to be moving around you know, strategic opportunities, strategic partnerships, you know, M and A, you know, certainly the IPO still coming up, and afterwards, then it's about you know. Uh, yeah, Q1, Q2 earnings calls, etc. Watch, right? Mm-hmm. So my role is actually moving into yeah less operational, but more and more into strategic opportunities. Yeah. Um, that's curious. You should mention those two things because my two next questions are about time management and being a hands-on CEO. Because mm-hmm. I've noticed that a, a lot about you as well. Like in your first business, a San Francisco franchise of Hong Kong's uh, Hui Lao Shan dessert shop, you'd be in the kitchen making puddings. Right. This year, you were with your staff on the front lines, manning COVID testing centers in some of the hit city's hardest-hit neighborhoods. So sounds like that's a conscious choice to lead from the front in hopes of inspiring others. Or is that just who you are? Is that something you do consciously? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly I think you have to lead by example, right? Certainly when you know things get tough wise, especially if the situation calls for it, that and basically we need you know, a lot of our team members to you know work through the night, through the weekends. Again, 
I will never be that individual that says, yeah, my team is going to work. I'm not going to, I'm not there. Right. So mm-hmm. I definitely have to, I always believe leading by example. And certainly that creates a, a certain closeness, a certain culture within the team that certainly, you know what, we're in this together. And then my other question is about managing your time. So you always have time for people. It seems, you know, you're very well connected. Um, a lot of networks like the one that you have, have take time to build. So how do you manage your time and how do you carve out windows to build relationships and network? Yeah, so I think that's very important, right? I think, you know, certainly, yes, majority of my time is, is spent at work. Uh, and certainly, I think you just have to, again, at the right stage of the company, you'll have different networks, different people that you need to associate with, you know, basically to continue uh, further growth, mm-hmm. right? And so certainly, I think you just have to, same with the business-wise, just identify priorities uh, in terms of who, you know, I should be spending the time with and who certainly I can, yeah, who we can do sharing, right? In terms of a where, again, um, how do I say this? It's important to understand where we are as a business and identify individuals or networks where they can add value to mm. where we are as an organization to continue our growth trajectory. So you just make time, basically. Yeah, you, you have to make time, right? In terms of based on priorities. Yeah. Right? I mean, then, of course, then it becomes less time or yeah, it's just it becomes less time to just yeah, you know, let's say socialize, just catch up when there's no yeah, no 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 just yeah. You always about the agenda. I, I wouldn't say always about there. There actually, to be honest, a lot of times when I do meet, it's, it's never about an, any agenda, mm. but it's really about growing together or learning together. Mm. Right? Correct. So a lot of times, yeah, you know, if I mean, if there's there's definitely there's zero agenda, but being able to associate with like-minded individuals mm. i think that's key right individuals that are trying to do something cool innovative that want to create uh you know that are positive mind and then something will always come out with these conversations right mm. yeah one of the personality traits psychologists look at when studying successful business leaders is agreeableness mm. right agreeable people tend to value social harmony above most other things they're not as competitive and they're unwilling to rock the boat for the most part, successful leaders lack this agreeable personality trait. Would you agree with that assessment? Just talking, getting more into the kind of the difficult parts of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, so, the, the, so the question is, would I agree that successful people tend to agree more? Agree less. Agree less. Uh, they're less agreeable. Yeah. Mm. Because they, they, they don't value social harmony as much as they have a mission and they're geared towards getting people in, in pursuit of that mission. And sometimes that means upsetting some people. Yeah. I mean, in, in, that's, in that case, I mean, I, I definitely agree, right? Yeah, I definitely agree successful people because certainly, yeah, the more successful you are, actually think the more you will have an opinion mm. on certain things in terms of, again, because you're able to see from a very wide lens. And then so certainly I think, you know, you would naturally tend to be less agreeable because by default wise, if you were always agreeable, uh, it would make for a very difficult setting or scenario when you have to make decisions, you know, hard business decisions, right? Because mm. a lot of the challenges, a lot of the times wise, you actually have to make the most difficult decision. And a lot of times these are, are decisions which not everyone agrees with. Mm. You need to have absolute faith in your decision making. Correct. At that point, yeah. We'll be right back with Lee and Danny. But first, let's hear from Prashant Bani, Chief Investment Officer, Asia-Pacific, at BNP Paribas Wealth Management. He talks to Lee about the rise of SPACs and the opportunities for investors in medical technology. Danny's company, Prenetics, is set to go public through a SPAC. Now, the rise of SPACs has been a big investment trend of 2021. Do you expect it to continue apace next year? 
SPACs have actually been around since the 1990s, but didn't gain popularity with investors until more recently. Issuance this year has been barnstorming to start the year. In fact, issuance is greater in the first six months of the year than all of 2020. We do expect issuance to slow next year for two reasons. First of all, regulatory reasons. The U.S. SEC has put out new rules, which has affected the pipeline. And then secondly, the performance of SPACs has lagged global market indices. However, this type of issuance vis-a-vis IPOs is here to stay, albeit in a more restrained fashion, for three reasons, each speed, financial incentives, and greater flexibility. We talked to Danny about the significant pivot his company made during the pandemic and the growth they've seen because of it. As we look ahead to the beginning of the third year of COVID, in what new ways will the pandemic alter the landscape for startups? Yes, Lee, interesting question, as the pandemic directly impacted two crucial issues for startups, funding and talent pool. Venture capitalists traditionally invested close to home. Post-pandemic, that has changed, and that is positive, especially for Asian startups. Secondly, talent, which is a crucial make or break for startups. Post-pandemic, it has opened up a much broader talent pool nationally and internationally, no matter where the startup is. Finally, embracing new ways of working and how to pivot your business model has been crucial for winners and losers post-pandemic. And that's a very important new issue for startups. Alongside Prenetics, a lot of startups in medical technology have seen rapid growth over the last two years, even aside from the pandemic. Where do the future opportunities lie for investors looking to enter the space? We're focusing on companies that can deliver better health outcomes at lower costs. One of the growth areas is wellness and prevention of illnesses. This is targeting lifestyle changes, diet, exercise, sleep, stress management, and a more holistic approach to health, as well as both physical and mental well-being. If you combine that with technology and artificial intelligence, then you can develop better drugs and delivery of those drugs to patients. Key medical megatrends we're focusing on for the next decade include robotics, nanotechnology, genome sequencing, healthcare trackers, and medical devices. And now back to the show. I want to go move away from your leadership style to more the now the business that you that you're leading. So I don't know if anyone's called you this before, Danny, but I mean, I think you're the king of pivots. You know, you went mm-hmm. from F&B to e-commerce, starting a group buying website called You Buy, I Buy, before selling it to Groupon. You then went corporate for a while, running Groupon's APAC operations before finding Prenetics. So firstly, what inspired these changes? Was it a roadmap you were following or was it purely a nose for opportunity? I mean, there was definitely no roadmap I was following, right? Because certainly no one or myself could have predicted what was ha- what would happen afterwards, right? Mm. After I started the company, right? Because, yeah, and to be fair, it could have been a complete failure as well, right? Um, but I think it was just looking at the opportunity mm. and certainly looking at a, was it the right trend? Uh, did I have enough? Uh, yeah, so, so I, I mean, going back, I, I think it was just no roadmap, but just looking at identifying the opportunity and seeing if I had 
you know, the recipe to create that. Um, and then so along, along the pathwise, certainly there's been a lot of obstacles, but certainly I think looking at the bigger trend, because even in 2014, when I started Prenetics wise, you know, people again, you know, thought I was, you know, quite crazy mm. going from e-commerce to genetic testing, right? And even, a lot of people early on, they're like, "Yeah, you, you have you know you don't know a single thing about this space, right? Uh, I'm not going to invest in you, uh, given my background, right? Yeah. Uh, but certainly, I think I've been able to you know figure it out along the way, uh, and you know certainly been being able to arm myself with knowledge, uh, and then connect with the right people, understand what are the uh, key elements to be successful in this business. It would have been an easier road to profit, right? Start staying in e-commerce. Of course. There's less regulation, there's less on the line. It's an industry you already knew inside out. So what made you decide to jump into digital health? Yeah, so I think it would have been very easy for me to create another e-commerce company um, and certainly have a very high probability of success. But I I jumped into healthcare with zero background in it uh, because certainly I think at the end of the day, I, I like to challenge myself. I like to continue to learn as well mm. about a new industry. Uh, and I felt that you know, back in 2014, yeah, even the US, it was already a, a mature market within genetic testing, but here in Asia, no one really heard about it, right? So I wanted to be able to create something uh, from that thing from scratch where certainly that it can have potentials to mm. impact people's health. It's easy to create narratives in hindsight to know, but it feels like every business is a stepping stone to the next. Mm-hmm. A different industry, a bigger industry, a bigger challenge, and, and so on. Um, I can't help but wonder what's next, but maybe we can get to that later. Um, I want to talk to you first about the... So you pivoted between industries and, and businesses, but then there's the the, the mother of all pivots, the, the COVID pivot mm-hmm. um, that, that you did at Prenetics. So less than 12 months after you started to create buzz around Prenetics's um, consumer DNA testing company, Circle DNA, you quickly became one of the forerunners uh, in the race to roll out cheap, rapid, readily accessible COVID-19 tests under the, the name Project Screen. Um, today, you provide thousands of tests uh, every single day in Hong Kong and the UK predominantly. Um, the success of this pivot, no doubt, has led to Prenetics' huge valuation. Just last year, I believe the company was valued at uh, $300 million. And now you're listing on the NASDAQ with an equity value of $1.7 billion US dollars. How important has this pivot been to the success of the business? And just how did you pull it off? So certainly wise, right? I think there were certain industries um, that certainly was able to move at a really fast point point in terms of providing service to the community uh, when it came to the COVID times, right? And so certainly I think you, 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 can, you can see with e-commerce, video conferencing, certainly healthcare, um, these are all aspects uh, which certainly was able to, again, make an impact and certainly from a business-wise be able to benefit. So certainly I think when we started um, thinking about even COVID-19 testing, it wasn't actually really about, it was actually when we started thinking about COVID-19 testing here in Hong Kong, it wasn't about the business opportunity. It was that we already had the infrastructure. We had the team in place. We had the laboratory. We had the scientists in place to know what we needed to do to be able to provide the service. Right. And that's what we started with. Right? It was just simply, hey, you know what? In Hong Kong, it was very difficult to do COVID testing. It was three to 4,000 HKD last year. And I was like, and then I had friends texting me and saying, you know, do you guys do COVID testing? Because number one, I don't want to go to the hospital and it's very expensive. Then mm. that's how it, the conversations got started within myself and our own team here. And then within 
ending probably four to six weeks, we then launched you know, Project Screen, which basically made COVID testing here in Hong Kong from 3,000 HKD to 785 HKD, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time-wise, we're getting sold out on a daily basis. Yeah, We're selling 100 test kits a day because we had a capacity constraint. Right. And we're sold out in one minute at 12 a.m. And, and initially, you weren't making a profit off of this, no, right? Zero, it zero. was all hands to the pump. Let's do what we can to fight this virus because it's, it's easy to forget now knowing what we know. Nothing was known about this virus then and what the implications were. And so you took your expertise and your team and you created these tests. So it seems like purpose is, is one of the things that drove the rapid change. It wasn't like, oh, here's a profit opportunity. No, you it was like, zero. It was, it was just you know, pure about a, how can we do something from company-wise, you know, we're a Hong Kong company. How can we do something basically to, you know, basically enrich the community mm. with rapid testing where, you know, basically you didn't even need to leave your home. So how did that then evolve to become a huge part of your core business? I think certainly, I think it was just, again, I think through different moments and different uh, coincidence, right? Because when we started doing it here in Hong Kong in April, uh, and then a lot of the things that we do, of course, we're a global company, right? So mm. we have a big operations in the UK. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to land a Premier League contract, uh, which certainly that was big news at the time because, yeah, the Premier League, Certainly, is a global organization, uh, very, very high profile. And so certainly we landed the, the uh, contract to actually help resume their season uh, with COVID testing across their 20 clubs, media players, and coaches, right? Mm. And so that was a big moment for us because it was like, wow, we're on like CNBC, Bloomberg, et cetera, as the firm that helped restart it uh, basically the Premier League season. Yeah, and, and I so, personally uh, thanked you for that in the past. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's and, it's uh, huge. Yeah, it, was, it was huge, right? It was May of last year, right? And then so that certainly got a lot of attention. That, of course, led to additional private sector contracts with Carnival, uh, Disney, a lot of the other private sectors, right? Um, this comes from building a network, right? Yeah, it comes from building a network and certainly and it also comes from having a successful track record in terms of servicing and then basically other companies see it because anyone when private or even governments you know their consideration biggest biggest country is they want to make sure that us as a service provider mm. organization can provide the full end-to-end solution not just the laboratory side of things right mm. it's the digital solution the registration the the logistics piece and so we do all of that in-house mm. um, and so certainly of course then that led us to getting a, a big uh, contract with the Hong Kong government last July yeah. um, to test all the restaurant workers. Mm. And because I think in Hong Kong, that was the first community testing event where you know, Hong Kong government said, you know what, at that time, we're going to test all the restaurants, 16,000 restaurants, you know, 300,000 staff in Hong Kong, right? So that's where we were basically working 24-7 uh, to, to do that testing within the team. So in a way, it was a completely even playing field. No one knew anything about COVID testing. No one knew anything about the, 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 mm, the scale the pandemic would hit. And so it was like fastest mover wins. It was the fastest mover. And that's certainly, I think we've also made sure that we, even though we move fast, you have to make sure given the severity of the results that we needed to put in place, very strict quality management systems. Mm. Uh, Another obstacle you had to overcome was managing this rapid growth, right? Yes. What are some things that you learned on the way while doing that? Not everyone wants growth, right? Mm. Correct? So I think that's key, right? So I think yeah, and there are certain employees where certainly, of course, they're like, hey, yeah, this is too much for me. Yeah, there's, and they, they don't want to be uh, associated or they don't want that lifestyle of a, of a you know, growing company. Right. And so certainly I think for those individuals, then, of course, then it's, it's I mean, for us, wise, of course, yeah, growth has always been 
one of the, the key elements of our DNA, right? That we want people that want to continue to grow, right? That want to be excited, that want to uh, provide something so valuable for our community. So I think a lot of our team members are very excited, but certainly, again, there's, there's some individuals that are not excited about growth. And certainly then you learn through this phase of growth, hey, who are the people that are going to stick around when things are really tough and that you have to you know, have a lot of resilience to work through it. Right? How, did then, it, how did you deal with those that weren't on board and what did you learn that would uh, Im- impact how you would deal with that again if the situation came up? I, I think, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, because we were growing so fast, right? I mean, we we're hiring people, you know, hundreds of people on, on, a, on a weekly basis, correct? Mm. Uh, part-time, full-time, et cetera, wise, right? You just don't have time to deal with that in terms of the individuals that weren't on board. You needed everyone to be on board mm. on this thing to, for it to fully work, right? So I don't think we would have done anything differently. Um, that's just, you know, I, I, don't, I think as an organization, we can't make everyone happy. But for the individuals that are on board, that have been able to go through that, then certainly now today, you know, as, as part of, of our company trajectory, and maybe as part of the IPO, et cetera, we have lots of individuals that are highly rewarded. Uh, for the efforts. Mm. So it sounds like what you're saying is you're very clear and like, here's the train. I want you to jump on board. For those who don't want to jump on board, there's the door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't put it bluntly like those terms, but certainly I think, yeah, we're definitely going to grow, right? Uh, we definitely mm. need to do this. Not just from a company perspective, but we felt that we had the sense of responsibility given that we had the infrastructure, right? And any testing was so critical to being able to identify cases out of the community, right? I mean, sure. Now we've done you know, over 6 million COVID-19 tests uh, alone in the last 14, 15 months, right? Mm. And within that, of course, we've isolated you know, thousands of individuals which have otherwise would have gone uh, undetected in the community, mm. right? So certainly, we, again, we 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 had a sense of of purpose and responsibility needed to you know, do everything that we can. So, I want to ask a couple of final questions about what's next. So, you said at the beginning of our conversation that you know you were inspired to to work hard and to become an entrepreneur by wanting to create opportunities for for you and your family. Um, you're not a flashy guy, you know. You look at your Instagram and it's all the business. There's no jets. There's no private islands. There's no million dollar jewels. After this listing, your personal wealth will grow substantially. So what will keep driving you after that? You, you have enough money to, to be comfortable to have options for the rest of your life. So what will keep you coming into work and working like 20-hour days? Yeah, so I mean, certainly, again, a few people have asked me this, right? So certainly, uh, it's not going to change my own personal lifestyle, right? I mean, I'm, I pretty much can guarantee I'll, I'll still be eating $30 HKD lunches. <laughs> so that doesn't change, right? Um, yeah, so I think my drive is not motivated by money, right? It's never, it has never been ultimately motivated by money. It always has to do with it creating something impactful that people can use. I think I see, I get a lot of sense of satisfaction from seeing my employees grow. And certainly, if you're able to create a great product that people have felt the impact of that, then ultimately, naturally, the money piece will play itself out. Mm. Yeah, but I think if you start thinking about even as an entrepreneur you start thinking okay, how can I make the most money then I think you, you, you then will have self conflicts right with an organization within the business so I've always looked at it and you know what certainly and it does put me into a, a more of a comfortable 
spot, yeah. But certainly, mm. I think money has never been my, my driving force, right? So it's always about creating something of impact. Um, certainly, I think the next, you know, I think again, frenetics wise, you know, we, we, I think we have so much opportunity, uh, so much potential that in the next five years, we can be a much bigger organization than where we are today, mm. and that we can really provide healthcare from pretty much the day you are born to the day that you die. Because not long after public listing is often an optimal time to exit, right? You sold you by iBuy after six months of, of launching it. So what's different this time? Is it that there are just more opportunities to make an impact? I think certainly with Prenantix-wise, and again, certainly, I mean, this is my last company, right? Mm. So I've told yeah, everyone this, this is my last company, right? So uh, because it's just, to be fair, I think entrepreneurship it does wear on you. It's quite tiring mm. because your mentality, your mindset, I mean, since you know, early on was it's always about work, right? So certainly, and then you have to 24-7 think of a lot of things associated with this. So certainly, I think uh, I'll still be here. I mean, very, I'm still very, very passionate about what we do. I have no plans to exit anytime soon myself-wise, right? Do you feel like you just don't have another fight in you? Which is a, would be a perfectly legitimate thing to think given how hard you work to create this business. No, not, not not necessarily that. I think, yeah. Once I I lose this passion, right, then it's something that yeah I would rather be, uh, uh, yeah, having moments where maybe I can you know, enjoy, you know, spend more time with family, my daughter, etc. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That then can certainly again, yeah, be again. I think I, I've done enough legwork, right, over, over the past you know, 17, 18 years as an entrepreneur. Um, that certainly, I think, it's, it's maybe, you know, at the right time wise, then certainly when I feel I can't make any more of an impact, then certainly I think uh, that that's when it will be the right time. So, when is enough enough? I don't think there will never be enough, right? Uh, but certainly, I think, again, it goes back to the thing about. Yeah, I'm, I'm still highly passionate about what we do. And I think right now we're just beginning. Um, so certainly I think there's still a lot of opportunity for us to yeah, not just be yeah, Hong Kong's first unicorn. I mean, it could be yeah, Hong Kong's, we want to turn this basically to a decacorn, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the opportunity uh, in the next five years for us. Um, last couple of questions. Um, you reach a huge amount of success. Uh, a lot of people will want to get to where you are right now, the citizen chair that you're sat in at the moment, and they won't get there. What's the difference that's got you to where you are today? I think certainly, you know, going back to our conversation, right? Certainly, I think the difference is, again, I, I had a childhood where I was constantly being in a new environment mm. and I always had to constantly reinvent myself and be very adaptable, right? And going back to where I feel my, my keys to success-wise, again, you know, going back, you have to have a lot of passion for what you do. You have to have a lot of resilience uh, in what you do. Uh, because there will be a lot of ups and downs and a lot of, and, and throughout the journey, there will be many times where you want to give up. Um, and, but certainly you have to go through that. And there will be a lot of times where not everything is, is operating at the most optimal and you have to have team and there's a lot of stuff on a daily basis you have to do. And you have to have a very high resilience. And certainly lastly, as mentioned previously, was that you have to have a very sense, a strong sense of humility that you're always constantly willing to learn, grow, regardless of where you are today. Mm, resilience, humility. If our listeners take away just one insight from this conversation that will help them build a better world, what should it be? Just doing something, you know, going back, uh, just doing something where, yeah, you're, you are creating impact um, and having identifying where that gap is. Mm-hmm. Danny, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, Lee. 
That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And please do leave us a rating and a review if you can. Next week will be the final episode of season two. Lee will be talking to actor, musician, and entrepreneur Nadine Lustre about childhood fame, personal setbacks, and how we need to change the way we talk about mental health. Until then, try to remember... You want to be able to spend where it creates value. I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.